Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Well, 2 Samuel chapter 9, again, is where we're at. And how many of you guys have heard of the man named Mephibosheth? Couple people. You know, it's a, great, uh, it's a great passage in the Bible. It shows a great illustration of God's kindness and love, his goodness. And uh, it's a shame that his, his name is so hard to say. Like, I'll probably mess up his name a couple times while I'm teaching today. And, and it's a shame because you know, as a kid, I would have loved to hear the story of Mephibosheth. You know, growing up, you know, in the church, uh, or if you've spent any time within the church, you, you've heard stories of, like, Jonah and the big fish, right? You've heard stories of uh, Jacob and Joshua, and you've heard stories of even, we're going to read about David. You, you've heard stories about David. Actually, a, side, a little side story, um, when... Uh, when I was a lot younger, my parents uh, told me that I could name my youngest brother. And, um, and I was like super excited. We were, you know, I just learned about David and Goliath. And so my parents were like, hey, you know, what do you want to name your, what do you want to name your little brother? You can have a little brother. What do you want to name him? And I'm like, yeah, let's name him Goliath. <laughs> and my, my parents opted not to do that. And so they named him David. And so uh, my, my brother actually plays bass on the worship teams. He's playing bass this weekend. And, and um, I, I love uh, being able to hear these real accounts, these stories from God's word. And, you know, having such a hard name to pronounce, can you imagine a little kid being like, you know, what, what do you want to, little Johnny, what do you want to hear about um, this evening before you go to bed? I want to hear about Mephibosheth. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, but we get to read his, his account today. And so uh, some background on David up to this point in chapter 9. Uh, David is in a good season of life. Uh, although he had to learn some really tough lessons up to this point, he was anointed to be king, even though he was just a little shepherd boy. Um, and he was anointed to be king, even though there was already a king on the throne. His name was Saul. Saul became a very envious, a very mad king and tried to kill David. And so David had to run for his life while Saul was running after him. But up at this point in chapter nine, chapter nine, David is king. And he recently had the Ark of the Covenant brought back to Jerusalem, right? We hear that we read the account of the Ark of the Covenant being brought back to Jerusalem and David rejoices, right? And his, he's dancing on the streets of Jerusalem there in his ephod and his, in his undies. And, um, and then more, even more recently, uh, we read that David had recovered territory away from the enemies of Israel. So David is in a good season of life right now. God is doing some amazing things in his life. So it's not an understatement to say that David is in a good place. 
And we're going to read about the kindness of God through David's life. And so in verse 1, we see David's heart of kindness. It says in verse 1 of chapter 9 in 2 Samuel, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, David asked a really good question. He said, what can I do for God? It's a great question that we really should all ask. As followers of Jesus, we should ask that question. God, what is it that I can do for you? I'm available. What, what is it that you would have me to do? And so David, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, proposed to build a temple for the Lord. But in this chapter, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David asks another really good question. The question is, what can I do for others? Now, it's good to ask the question, God, what is it that I could do for you? And it's also a good question to ask, what is it that I can do for others? And you might think, well, David's in a good place, right? So it's easy to ask that question. But be reminded that as even we talked about David's background a little bit, David has gone through quite a bit to get to this point. And so David actually really has an understanding of what God's kindness looks like. David's question showed a great love. He asked the question, is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because remember, Saul made himself to be an enemy of David. Saul became a spear thrower and was throwing spears at David. He sought out to kill David. You see, it was customary in those days for the king of a new dynasty to completely annihilate anyone connected with the prior dynasty. David went against the principle of revenge and against the principle of self-preservation, which was the common practice in that time. And as he went against those principles, he asked the question, what he could do for the family of his enemy. It wasn't just a question of what can I do for others, but what is it that I can do for the people that hate me? What is it that I could do to the family of the one who tried to kill me? You see, Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, verse 44, he said, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus taught us to love our enemies, and in a really practical way, we're going to see what Jesus taught in David's life. David was meant to kill every lineage of Saul. And yet we see him here and his desire to show kindness to anyone who might be left. Now he says, is there anyone still in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness, that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David did this because he remembered his relationship and covenant with Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, 
verses 14 through 15, we read, you shall not only show me kindness, me the kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die, but you, you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. You see, David's actions were not only based on feelings, but they were also based on the promise and the covenant that he made. Feelings are real, but they may not always tell the truth. And we find here that David has every right as the king to wipe out anyone that might still be alive from the lineage of Saul. But he, he, he's here to ask a really good question. What can I do? What is it that I could do for the enemy of my life? It wasn't just based on feelings, but it was based on the promise and then the covenant. So what does this teach us? We're called to be faithful to our covenants. Married people in this room, be faithful to the covenant that you made in marriage. Be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to the Lord that you've made that covenant with in your marriage. As a married person, I understand the difficulties of having to live with someone that is not you. Can I get an amen? It's difficult. It's hard. I love my wife, but she's not me. But I'm called to be faithful to her, even in the difficult times, even at times where I feel like we're against each other, I'm called to be faithful to her. And as believers, we're called to be faithful to our covenants. Matthew Henry said this in his commentary of 2 Samuel chapter 9. He says, and I quote, the kindness we have promised, we must conscientiously perform, though it should not be claimed. God is faithful to us. Let us not be unfaithful to one another. Think about the faithfulness of God. Think about his loyalty to you and how he has called us to be loyal to one another in the covenants and in the promises that we've made. We are called to make our yeses yes and our noes no. And so right off the bat, we're, we see here that we're called to be faithful to the covenants that we make. Proverbs 18.24 tells us, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this is a great passage, and it's easy for us to think of Jesus when we read about this friend who sticks closer than a brother. But think about your own life, and could this be said of you? Are you someone who is a friend who sticks closer than a brother? Or are you the one who is an unreliable friend that helps to bring your friend to ruin? It's amazing how we as believers, and I'll speak for myself, how we as followers of Jesus can sometimes be unreliable. 
And yet, we have this great reminder already of we're called to be faithful to our covenants. And David made a covenant with Jonathan to be faithful to his household, even though Jonathan's dad, Saul, made himself to be an enemy of David. Now continuing on in chapter 9, we'll start at verse 2. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Matcher, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Matcher, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. So David hears about the son of Jonathan who's still alive. And he hears it from this man named Ziba. Now Ziba is an important figure in the story because David could only learn, <clears throat> David could only learn that there was a descendant of Saul still living and he can only learn where he was through this servant named Ziba. And so why is this important? It's important because this reveals that Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, was hiding. The only way for the king to learn if there was still someone who was alive from the lineage of Saul was through this man named Ziba. It meant that Mephibosheth was hiding he didn't want the king to know that he was alive. And then we get a, a key phrase within this passage, the kindness of God. This phrase is key to understanding David's motivation in this chapter. David wanted to show someone else the same kindness that God showed to him. You see, there was nothing about David looking outwardly that would make him king. We even read about it in, in, in the Bible where it says, God looks at the heart, but man looks on the outward. There was nothing about David that would make him to be king. He didn't come from a line of royalty, but God had a plan for his life. Psalm 75 verses 6 through 7 reminds us that God puts people in leadership. Exaltation comes neither from the east or the west. God raises one up and puts down another. For David, he was, in, in his mind, he was just going to be a shepherd. And yet the kindness of God in his life put him in a place of authority to rule over all of Israel. The kindness of God. It's, it's a key in this passage because if we're honest with ourselves, our kindness can only go so far. I know for me, my kindness can only go so far. And yet God wants to work within us his kindness. There has to be a greater working of God in my life to show the kindness that is necessary for my life to be effective. 
and so much more than just working on my own kindness. It must be the kindness of God working through my life. That's what this world needs. That's what your neighbor needs. That's what your family members need. They need the kindness of God. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And many of you are familiar with it, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19, it says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and what's the next word? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, the works of the flesh are evident. But so are the fruits of the Spirit. The work of God is evident in the believer's life. And so if you believe that the work of God in your life is evident, then you're going to bear the fruit of kindness. It's going to be what we reveal. And so it's not as much our kindness, but the kindness of God within our lives. Followers of Jesus will bear that fruit because it is the work of his spirit. And so the kindness of God, David asked the question, God, what can I do for you? And then he says, what can I do for others? But then he asks this really good question. What can I do to show the kindness of God? It's a question really that should be embedded within our hearts as believers, as the church, as the prime example here on earth of who Jesus is. What is it that I can do to show the kindness of God in this world? And I'll tell you, it's challenging. I don't know if you're challenged with kindness, but I'm for sure challenged with kindness. If you're someone that likes to look through social media, hey, it's going to challenge your kindness. Because it's easy to read and to see what's going on within our culture and be outraged and then have an opinion and then press send on that said opinion. And yet we have to realize and come to a place of asking, is this showing the kindness of God? Is my opinion showing the kindness of God? Or is it just my opinion? Or maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, but maybe you're like me and you're driving down the freeway and you're just minding your own business and then someone cuts you off 
And is your response, oh, God bless you. Yeah, take my lane. I wanted you to take this lane. What are you, what are you doing over there? I wanted you to take this lane. And maybe, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, but then, you know, I step on the gas and I try to drive up as close as I can and who is this? Who is this person that thinks that my lane is their lane? And I, I feel sorry for my wife, I mean, I feel sorry for my, life, my wife for a lot of reasons, but I feel sorry for my wife when she's driving with me because she's always like, hey, it's okay, just, it's fine. Like, you're not in a race. And I'm like, I, I am in a race. <laughs> I need to get to the place where I need to be the fastest and the soonest, right? But, you know, the work of the Spirit in my wife's life tends to lend itself to be the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. But is my reaction to these difficulties, to these inconveniences, is it the kindness of God or is it my flesh? Because my flesh is evident, but so is the work of God. And here we're gonna see this great example as David desires not just to do a good work for God, not just to do a good work for others, but a work to show the kindness of God. He learns that there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And we first learned of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Tells us that this son of Jonathan was made lame in his feet from an accident when they heard that his father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul died in battle. We should remember why Mephibosheth, why Mephibosheth's nurse gathered the boy and fled in a hurry at the news of Saul and Jonathan's death. She rightly feared that the leader of a new royal dynasty would execute every potential heir of the former dynasty. And so we see here Mephibosheth is a young boy and they hear about Jonathan and Saul dying and so they try to flee and they try to go and, and hide and run away. And as this nurse runs with Mephibosheth, he's dropped. He wasn't born a lame uh, man. He was dropped and there was an accident and he became lame. Mephibosheth being the son of Jonathan means that according to the, the prior dynasty of Saul, Mephibosheth had the right to the throne. He was a son of the firstborn son of the king and other potential heirs were already dead. In a political sense, David could see Mephibosheth as a rival or a threat. Later in 2 Samuel, in chapter 16, we see a man named Shimei who was a strong supporter for the house of Saul against David. There were at least a few in Israel who felt that the house of Saul should still reign over the nation and that David shouldn't be king. And Mephibosheth might draw upon these partisans and develop a rival following. Ishbosheth was Mephibosheth's uncle and he waged a war against David for the throne of Israel. And so there was at least an outside chance that Mephibosheth 
might do the same. So why is it important to understand all these things about Mephibosheth? Well, it just makes the decision for David that much greater. David had every right to look for anyone who was still alive from the house of Saul. And he had every right to wipe him out as the king. And that could have easily been in his mind. And yet his desire was to show the kindness of God to his enemies. Now we read of Mephibosheth's lot in life. He was in the house of Matcher, the son of Amiel. And this speaks to Mephibosheth's low station in life. He didn't even have his own house. Instead, he lived in the house of another man. A couple things to think about as we continue reading in this passage. What have we learned? Well, we've learned that there is still someone from the lineage of Saul. His name is Mephibosheth. And he's in hiding and he's crippled. And he was crippled because of an accident. Someone else's decision brought harm and hurt in his life. And he was hiding because there was a fear that if the king knew that he was alive, he would surely kill him. And so often in our lives, this happens to us. We're hurt and we're afraid. Maybe someone's decision has brought pain into your life. Maybe someone's action has brought hurt into your life and in a very real way. You feel crippled. Emotionally, you feel crippled. Spiritually, you feel crippled. And you're in hiding. You may be here, but there's things, there's hurts and there's pains and you're just hiding. And maybe today that's you. And I pray that as we read about Mephibosheth and we read about David and we read about the kindness of God that you would come to this place of having hope and desiring restoration as we continue to see what God's heart is through the life of David and Mephibosheth. Again, not to minimize the work of God, but the pain that we have is real. The frustrations that you have are real. The hurt that have come from other people's hands, those things are real but they shouldn't make us hide from the true King, Jesus. The reality is they should draw us closer to him and we'll get to see this great picture of the kindness of God through David's life to Mephibosheth. Verse six of chapter nine, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. 
he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth makes a humble appearance before David. Can you imagine what must have been going through Mephibosheth's mind as these messengers of David show up and Mephibosheth has spent most of his life hiding from the king? He must have been terrified when these messengers from David knocked at his door and demanded that he come with them to see the king. In the back of his mind, he may have anticipated for the day when David would do as other kings did and kill every potential rival to his throne. And so Mephibosheth was afraid. The knock on the door also meant that Mephibosheth was no longer hidden from the king. He could easily have felt secure as long as he believed the new king didn't know about him. So there was fear as he's approaching the king. He fell on his face and he prostrated himself before the king. He got to the lowest, he, he bowed to the lowest way possible on his face and on his belly. According to the custom of the times, Mephibosheth had a lot to fear of David. Yet his fear of David was not founded in fact and only on assumption. Up to this point, Mephibosheth and David never had a relationship. And they never had a relationship because Mephibosheth wanted it that way. He avoided David out of unfounded fears and unfounded assumptions. And how true is it of us that as the king would approach us or we're brought to this place we're now confronted with the king. And because of unfounded facts and assumption, we're afraid to reveal those difficulties and those hurts. We're afraid to reveal what the king already knows. And we think of ourselves unworthy. And, and yet, just like David would remove the fear of Mephibosheth, our King Jesus would remove those same fears. David says to Mephibosheth, do not fear, I will surely show you the kindness, your, show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. David made a covenant with Jonathan, we see that in 1 Samuel 20, promising the sh to show kindness to, the, to 
Jonathan's descendants. And we see here that David gets to make good on that promise. But you see, as we're confronted with God and as, as he's revealing to us, hey, you need to come. God gets to make good on his promise because of the covenant he's made through his son, Jesus. That we don't have to fear if there's things in our lives that are hidden. If we've been running away, Romans tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. The fear that we have is based on assumption and not fact. For the believer, having an understanding of God's word and having an understand, understanding of God's grace, we have to build our life on the fact that God is gracious and he's kind, he's slow to anger, he's rich in love, he's merciful. And when we hide the fact that there's sin in our lives and we're not repentant, we undo that fact in our lives. And so this fear out of assumption, we need to get rid of it. The messenger has come. The Holy Spirit is there bringing you to this place to bring you to the king. And today you have a decision to make. Am I going to allow the king an audience with me or am I going to continue to try to hide out of fear? Fear of if God really knew who I was, he would just wipe me out. Or if, if the church really knew who I was, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't love me. They, would, they wouldn't want me around. That's fear. That's not fact. The Bible tells us that God's grace is sufficient for every need. And the need for salvation and redemption and forgiveness is made possible through Jesus, our true king. David says to Mephibosheth, I will restore to you all the land of Saul. <clears throat> David simply promised Mephibosheth would receive what was his. Mephibosheth knew about these lands all along, but he was afraid to take possession of them because it would expose him before the king. David went against all custom in showing such kindness to an heir of the former dynasty. Not only that, will, will he restore the land of Saul? David says, you shall eat bread at my table continually. This went far beyond giving Mephibosheth what was rightly his, he gave Mephibosheth the honor of a close relationship with the king. A similar promise is given to the followers of Jesus. Jesus told the disciples that they would eat and drink at his table in heaven. We see that in Luke chapter 22. He says, just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we see these great parallels between 
the king da- with King David and Mephibosheth and the King Jesus and us. Mephibosheth's reply to the king is, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth didn't feel worthy of such generosity. He considered himself a dead dog, meaning a worthless and insignificant person. And isn't that true, that that's what sin and fear and hurt and harm does to a person's life? As we isolate ourselves, we begin to think of ourselves unworthy of relationship, unworthy of love. All the years of hiding from the king and living in fear and poverty made Mephibosheth think himself as worthless. And how many times do you and I feel like Mephibosheth and in failure and in hurt and in difficulty, we isolate ourselves? And we hide. And yet, the kindness of God is what penetrates to our hearts, bringing us to a place of acknowledging his goodness and repenting. So David instructs Ziba, as we finish off the chapter, Verse 9, the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to you your master's son, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's, uh, but Mephibosheth, your master's son shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micha, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. In addition to the land, David gave Mephibosheth servants to work the land. And the food from the land was for Mephibosheth's family, because now Mephibosheth sat at David's table. And Mephibosheth was happy to know that David didn't want to kill him. But he was happy to know that it was actually kindness that David wanted to see Mephibosheth. So David fulfills the covenant he made with Jonathan And Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, no longer hiding in fear of the king. This descendant of Saul now lived openly among the people of God. He ate continually at the king's table, no longer in poverty and estranged from the king. Now he had great privilege before the king. 
And it would be true for us. God has made a way through his son Jesus to have this favor to be able to sit at the table of Jesus and to commune with him and have fellowship with him and find favor with the king. But the chapter ends with this. It says, he was lame in both his feet. See, Mephibosheth's weakness did not vanish. His life was far better, but he was still lame. You see, sometimes even when God restores, we still have the pains from the past. And we have to understand that that's okay. That doesn't take away from God working and restoring. It doesn't take away from the favor of God. It doesn't take away from the identity that we are now sons of the king and treated like sons of the king. It just means that we still have that difficulty. It just means that we still have that hurt. And again, feelings are real, but they don't always tell the truth. And so for Mephibosheth, now that he had this new life with the king, it didn't take away from the difficulty of being lame in his feet. David's grace to Mephibosheth is a wonderful picture of God's grace to us. In many ways, we are Mephibosheth. We're hiding, poor, weak, lame, and fearful before our king comes to us. We separated ourselves from the king because we didn't know we didn't know him or his love for us. We didn't know his kindness. And just like Mephibosheth, our king sought us out before we sought him. The king's kindness is based on a covenant. And just like Mephibosheth, we must receive the king's kindness in humility. The king returns to us what we lost in hiding from him. The king returns to us more than what we lost in hiding from him. And just like Mephibosheth, we have the privilege of provisions at the king's table. We are received as sons at the king's table with access to the king and fellowship with him. And just like Mephibosheth, the king's honor does not immediately take away all our weaknesses and lameness. But it gives us a favor that overcomes those things and changes the way we think about ourselves. And David's grace to Mephibosheth is also a pattern for us in serving and ministering to others. In many ways, we're David. We should seek out our enemies and seek to bless them. It's what Jesus taught us. We should look for the poor, the weak, the lame, and the hidden and seek to show them 
the kindness of God. We should bless others when they don't deserve it. And that's the challenge, isn't it? It's easy to love those who are lovely. But what about the one that chooses to hurt you? What about the one that has hurt you? What about the one that mocks you? Would you choose to show the kindness of God to their life? We should choose to bless others when they don't deserve it and bless them more than they deserve because isn't that what Jesus has shown us? The wages of sin is death and yet Jesus has chosen to not just forgive us of our sins, the debt that we owe, but to give us newness of life, a restored life, a life that's everlasting. We must show the kindness of God to others. It is the kindness of God that changes us. It is the kindness of God that will bring change to our neighbors and to our coworkers and to our families and to this world. It's good to do good things. And I'm all for doing good things for people. But what's going to last is the kindness of God. Because that's an eternal work. That's a work that only he can do in our lives. And it's what we must do as a church. Not just this church, Calvary Church, but the church at large. To have this desire to show the kindness of God before we ever post anything on social media, before we ever reply to a rough email or a text, before we ever respond to a conversation with our opinion or hurt feelings, we must desire to seek the Lord and asking him, is this your kindness? Is this me showing the kindness of God to the people around me so before we close and before we pray I just want to ask two questions the first question is is for someone or some people in this room and maybe maybe you don't have a relationship with King Jesus with our Savior and you've been hiding and you've been running and today You've been brought to the king's table. And he's revealing to you not judgment, but kindness. Not condemnation, but forgiveness of sins. You can pray a simple prayer this morning. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But if that's you today, if you've been brought to the light, if you're, you're no longer hidden from the king's sight, you can pray a simple prayer of, of just this. You can say, 
God, I, I know I'm a sinner. And I, I believe that you came to this earth, you were crucified, and you rose again. And I need to ask you for forgiveness of sin. Romans 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in that simple prayer, you can know today that salvation has been brought to your life. And the second question is for believers here today. And you've been hiding. There's been pain, there's been hurt, you're crippled emotionally, maybe you're crippled physically, spiritually. And the messenger, the Holy Spirit, has brought you, has carried you to the king's table. And you're no longer hidden. And it's not condemnation. It's kindness that the Lord is revealing to you these things so that you can live in freedom, so you can partake of the king's table, to have a right relationship with him today. And so respond to him. Don't retreat and run and hide even more. So as we end with this song and so worship team comes back up and, and you just need to respond. You can come up during the song. You can come up after the song. But let's allow the Lord to continue ministering to our hearts today. So if you responded to any one of those two questions, there's going to be pastors and people from the prayer team up here. Come up and let them minister to you, encourage you. So let's stand. We'll pray and we'll close this time with a song as we respond to the Lord and his kindness today. God, we thank you for your kindness. God, we thank you for your mercy. And I just pray right now for your ministry to be done through your spirit, Lord. That there are some here in this room with real pains and real hurts and unconfessed sin and your desire is to bring them and to carry them to your table. You're not here to condemn them. You're not here to hurt them. You're here to restore them, God. So we pray for that work today. We offer to you this time, even as we sing this song, God, may you be glorified here in this place, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.